Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Sweet Talk. Uh, thank you for joining today. I'm Gary Salazar. I am the Director for Continuing Education and Workforce Training, or CEWT Suite, here at Idaho State University. Uh, we are part of the College of Technology. We provide a lot of the non-credit training for courses in our community, in our region, everything from workforce training, business courses, continuing education courses, um, uh, anything related to those things. Um, and uh, we're, we're glad to be a part of that community. And this is part of our community outreach where we try to talk about things that might be of interest to other people in our community, such as drones, such as glassware, such as health, uh, health programs. Uh, joining us today will be Ed, Ed Gigley. He's going to be joining us uh, to talk about a very interesting topic. He's formerly taught for SWEET, for, previously taught for SWEET, and, and for STEC. That's the uh, Energy Systems Technology and Education Center. So he's an adjunct professor as well. Uh, our format is going to be very conversational. We're just going to see where this goes. But at the end of 20 minutes, we're just going to stop. We're cutting it off at that point. We're going to have a great conversation. And by the way, the clock started the moment I said hello. Um, so welcome to Sweet Talk, Ed. Glad to have you here. Hello, Gary. Thank well, you. Let's begin by having the audience learn a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit of your background. That'd be very helpful. Okay. Well, my name's, as we talked about, Ed Gigley. And uh, I was born not far from here in Idaho Falls. Uh, I came to Pocatello when I was 18 years old to go to Idaho State University. And uh, I went attended the College of Technology, the School of Law Enforcement program. Uh, I graduated in 1976 and, and uh, became a policeman. And uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later. I, I had been a policeman 30 days when the Teton Dam failed. Oh, oh wow. And uh, so needless to say, when you're 19 years old, your eyes are big when you see things like that. And uh, it was a, a quite an experience uh, to see. I, my career uh, went ahead, and I went to work for the Idaho State Police. Uh, principally, my, my duties were drug enforcement at that time. The majority of my career uh, has been in drug enforcement. I retired after uh, 26 years of service with the Idaho State Police. And uh, upon my retirement, I was a captain here in Pocatello. I, I uh, Supervised the patrol division, the investigations division, and the communications division with the Idaho State Police. Uh, it was a outstanding career, and I felt very fortunate to be involved with with, with the people that served with with ISP. That's that's tremendous. Thank you, thank you for that service. Thanks for uh, being a part of ISU and and hanging around too. I mean, and that's awesome that you were here doing this. So. That was the background, and then at some point you got involved with uh, with drones, from drug enforcement over to drones, or was that a part of that? Well, no, uh, I retired 11 years ago, Okay. and when I retired, I decided that I had a lot of time on my hands, and I wanted to pursue some interests that, that I didn't have the time to do when I was raising a family, involved in a career, and as... Uh, a youth, I'd been involved in radio-controlled airplanes, uh, model airplanes, and so I got back into that hobby. 
and I became uh, in, involved in that. And I joined the Eastern Idaho Air Modelers Club here in Pocatello. And that's about the time that drones became available to the hobbyist or recreational flyer. I became involved in that, and it was kind of a natural evolution from fixed-wing radio control uh, aircraft to, we're just going to call them drones. Uh, uh, it was kind of a natural prog progression for me to, to get into what we call unmanned aerial systems. Okay, now this is a fascinating tack, and, and I, I, I admit that I don't know a lot about drones. I know a little bit about aircraft, and I've seen people flying remote control aircraft, RC. What is the difference between that and a drone, though? Uh, I think uh, as far as a drone goes, that's kind of a generic term, I think, that we use today. But uh, originally, historically, drones have been around for decades, dating back to World War II. They were used in gunnery practice uh, with the Army Air Corps. Uh, as time, you know, evolved, they then went to a, a radio-controlled system and to the point where we are now, uh, where we have drones you know, with the Air Force that, that are, you know, they're very active in, in uh, our military. Doing reconnaissance. Doing reconnaissance right. and, and warfare. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important that we don't confuse now let's talk uh the hobbyist drone okay. i i use the term drone but the true word for that is or the true term is unmanned aerial systems okay. and what that is is anytime that you use a radio control to uh, a system that you launch into the air and navigate it that's defined by federal law and state law as an aircraft. Uh, so that, that we'll talk a little bit about that and how that plays into the national airspace and FAA regulations okay. and rules and such. That's excellent. So there's a bigger story behind drones or UAS. Uh, and you came and you started teaching that here at Idaho State University. How long ago was that was your first class? This would have been last fall semester. Mm -hmm. uh, three years prior to me instructing at Idaho State University, uh, after I did retire, I still main con maintain contact and with the state police. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of uh, associates that still work there. And one of the things I also do with ISP now is I, I'm the intelligence analyst in what we call the Idaho Criminal Intelligence Center. So that keeps me in touch with the Idaho State Police. Well, I was told that ISP had purchased six drones, six unmanned aerial systems. And so I called the command, you know, one of my friends that, uh, that, was involved in that and and was told yes we have them and so I, I'm interested what what's the plan how are you going to train your people and at that point I was told well we really don't have they're still in the warehouse and at that point I says well let me help you get your program up and running and so I I became involved with that and I also uh, developed and uh, wrote the 
policy for their program. Our colonel at the time, Ralph Powell, said, okay, we have drones, but they're not turning a blade till we have a policy and a procedure. And so I did that. So I've been involved with that for about three years, and the state police uses them extensively uh, uh, in crime scenes and in major crash investigations for aerial imagery. For aerial imagery. And, and, and I'd love to get into this a little bit more, but, but it, it seems like when I hear about drones on the news, you know, I'm hearing about people are flying drones and they're, they're violating, you know, TCAs or airport systems, FAA rules. I mean, they're, they're hobbyists, I, I imagine, or they're just trying to, they're, they're toy and they violate some rules. There's a real strict uh, regulation around these systems now today, right? Yes. Uh, the FAA has total authority over what we call the, National airspace. The national airspace is anything from the blades of the grass on up to the stratosphere. Uh, and anytime that you launch an aircraft, and these are, they're defined as aircraft in the national airspace, you have to adhere to a certain set of rules and regulations. And I, it makes total sense because uh, the last thing we need is, uh, you know, people up there operating these in unrestricted in airspace where people are flying. We have manned flight, and I think that's, you know, it's prudent. Uh, so with that, it's important that anyone who operates a drone be aware of the rules and regulations that, that uh, affect hobbyists or the recreational flyer and the commercial drone Sure, sure. That's pretty good. Can you help me with this question here? I'm, does a hobbyist or somebody who takes uh, the $30 drone they found in, in Walmart and they go, hey, I'm going to go fly this thing, goes out to their, their acreage in their, next to their house and starts flying, do they have to go through some training to do that? Or do we have to worry about that? And currently, there's no training uh, that is required for that. Uh, but there are rules that they have to adhere to as a hobbyist if your drone uh, is a certain meets a certain criteria, and it's by weight. It's if it's over a half a pound up to fifty five pounds, it has to be registered. No different than an airplane it has a tail number or an end number. Uh, a drone also has to have uh, a registration, and you it's easy to do. You you get online and and you register your craft, and they give you a number, and that number has to be affixed to the outside of the drone. Uh, it used to be that it could be placed anywhere in the drone that could be accessible without using tools. Well, one of the problems that as this evolved was uh, if a drone would be recovered, uh, first responders are real hesitant to get inside that drone they don't know whether it could be you know something that could be used by a terrorist and they want to see visually what that that number is okay and so yes you do have to have you have to have numbers and you have to fly uh within certain airspace the the national airspace is divided up into different categories and in order to fly uh, in these different categories, depending on what it is, 
you have to get permission from air traffic control. Uh, if you are in what we call class Gulf or class G airspace, then you don't have to get clearance, but you are limited to 400 feet above ground level. And so that's really important for, for the recreational hobbyist. Okay. To know. okay. Let, me, let me take what, what you just said here and, and do when you teach a class, like you you teach a class for continuing ed mm-hmm. workforce training, do the students who, who t- get a drone there, do they go outside with you? Do they get to learn how to fly that class or it has, does it have to be inside? Well, we do both. Uh, this last class that we did, we did it up at the Eames complex, which is an immense building with a lot of space and, and it's a really good place to learn flight, indoor flight without getting carried away. Oftentimes people will tell me, yeah, I had a drone for about four minutes. And for one reason or another, they launched it and it got up into the wind and, and it was gone. And we can, we can keep them more or less under our control inside. After, after the students learn uh, stick commands, uh, then we go outside and we fly uh, my, my fleet of drones. I've got like five and they're somewhat advanced over and above what we issue them but uh, it teaches them it teaches them how to operate in the national airspace and exactly how to how to go about operating these okay now you brought up another great question here the the little drones that we put out in our classes that you know they're they're not very expensive they're they're off-the-shelf drones and they're cool to play with you know if you're a first-timer they're very cool you know i i grabbed one of these things i was so fascinated but that's not what you fly no. You fly something a lot more complex. I started with that, though. I think any one of us that currently, any one of us that uh, use these, we started that way. I'm going to say the Walmart drone. Uh-huh. And uh, that led us into, you know, okay, now i got to get bigger and better. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the drones that I use are, they, they're, they navigate by GPS and what we call VPS. And VPS is v- a GPS is global positioning system, right? We're talking to satellites. A drone talks to it at times 19 satellites to keep it stable in the air. Uh, and it also has visual uh, positioning system, which allow, ta- allows that drone to keep stable as it comes into land. And uh, maybe GPS doesn't work, or for one reason or another, there's a failure there. It has that backup. That's pretty good. And but there's a significant cost difference. If somebody gets gets more interested in following and learning about drones, if they want to move up and up, it it's it costly, doesn't it? It does. Uh, it can. Uh, I think that these systems were very, very expensive even five years ago. And of course, as technology progresses, they become more efficient, they become cheaper, they become uh, a lot more, uh, and and uh, they were to get the type of drone that we operate now. One would expect to spend about twenty five thousand dollars now a hobbyist or recreationist could purchase one for about $600. Wow. That's a, that's more of my stereo system. That's a whole lot expensive right there. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the uses of drones today. You mentioned uh, uh, 
Idaho State Police has drones, and they use them for uh, crowd control? No, no. We, I think it's real important to know that, that uh, our Idaho, and I, I, I'm going to speak for Idaho law enforcement, uh, our systems are not random surveillance platforms. We use them for aerial imaging. I, I think the best thing that, to do is picture these as they're, they're a, a camera in the sky. It's a tripod in the sky that we use. Say we have a very serious crash. We can get up at an altitude, look down, and you can see, uh, in the, like with a, a crash, you can see marks on the, on the road. You can see evidence that you would not see from ground level. And so they're very they're very useful for that. Okay. Uh, one of the things that we're 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 uh, experimenting with at ISP is we like to to use three. We've been using three D mapping, which allows us to launch that drone, take our images, and now we can move the vehicles out of the way and get the highway open again quicker. Okay, that's very very cool. There's um there was some talk at one meeting I was in about. Um, about using drones to assist SAR efforts, uh, somebody who's lost in the mountain. And there's stories about that here recently of climbers lost on mountains and, and they need rescue. So are you familiar with using drones in a SAR situation? Yes, very familiar. And uh, I think that we are just reaching, we're just realizing the potential uh, of that in search and rescue, search uh, uh, missions. One of the things that we use these for is not only to search and locate but we also search and and we can tell where that person is not so we can dedicate our resources to an area where they may be mm -hmm. uh, sadly we we have search and recovery missions uh, case in point we had a victim uh, that disappeared and it was theorized perhaps this person uh, was in the the Roseburg ponds yeah. uh, by north of Blackfoot. We were able to get in there with our drones and absolutely tell uh, the searchers that person is not in this area. So they could dedicate themselves to searching other areas of of higher probability. That's good. That's that, I hadn't thought about that. I always think about you know they're searching for something, but it would be a great tool. To identify areas, you, you don't have to put your resources in. Wonderful use. There's a couple other uh, unique things. Maybe maybe it's unique to me, but um, I was watching uh, a, um, I think it was a YouTube segment, and there was a gentleman who was water skiing behind a drone. Have you ever seen that? It was a large drone, and he was being pulled. And it wasn't on, on, a, on a, it looked like it was going through a creek or a stream bed or a small river area. And so he's got his hands on this, and he's being pulled by this very large drone. So I imagine he was steering it, too. Have you ever seen that? You know, I, it, there's so many, so many different things that, that we can use them for. Uh, and I, could, I would not ever discount that at all. Uh, again, the sky's the limit anymore. We used to say, what will the next five years bring? Now we've got it down to, what will the next five months bring? <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's with technology. That's incredible. You know, before we get too far into this, I just want to make sure that everybody knows uh, you have a class coming up here in the fall. Uh, and if they wanted to register for your, for your one of your classes, they would go. How would they 
do that? They go through Sweet, or that you want them to contact you? I would I would say contact Sweet okay. and and uh, enroll okay. in, the, in the program. And, so we go through yeah. the registration system that we have at at Continuing Ed and Workforce Training. Great. There was one more thing I want to ask you about on drones that was uh, that I saw during the last Olympics. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, we're at the end of our time. I won't be able to chance to get that question, but you ought to look it up. It's fascinating. Um, we are done. Let me go ahead and turn this off right now. Uh, we are um, finished with this uh, this portion of the podcast. I want to thank uh, Ed for joining us today. Thank and you. Talking about UAS and drones. It's a, it's a fascinating area. A lot of things happening. Thank you also for teaching our class. Uh, I, I know you're going to get a lot of interest from that. Uh, for anybody who uh, who didn't get a chance to hear the whole thing, uh, come join his class. Get some great insights on what this this fascinating new field is. It's growing. He's got a lot of expertise in it. Um, if you'd like to learn more about drones, check us out on cetrain.isu.edu. Uh, we're always uh, open to more questions like that. Uh, if you'd like to, to ask us a question, let us know what you think. If you have a suggestion, let us know what you think. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk. Mm-hmm.